Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening confidant, your gardening pal, your gardening friend, Nathan Wilson. I hope that you have had a great week. I know that it's been a wonderful week for me. Of course, uh, I spend my weeks at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, and this is the time for the nurseries to shine. This is sort of Super Bowl at the nurseries. We've got folks coming in, buying all kinds of plants, getting ready to uh, improve the looks of their landscapes and their gardens. And so it's fun and exciting. Some folks will bring in pictures, challenges, and we work through that. And we help to get folks growing and get them growing well. Of course, we've had some rain. Seems like we've had rain at the beginning of the weeks for the past couple of weeks. But no worries, we need some rain. Even though I thought that April showers brought May flowers, now I'm afraid we just have a bunch of May showers. But of course, there are plenty of flowers blooming right now. And one of those uh, types of flowers that are starting to bloom and give us all different kinds of colors and shapes and forms are the perennials. The perennials are going crazy. They're starting up. They're revving up. Now, some are early bloomers, and they've started. uh, Some of them may be finished, but many of these perennials will continue to bloom all summer long. I'm thinking right now of a great purple salvia called May Night. May Night Salvia. It's a beautiful salvia, and it has been blooming for a while, and we'll trim it back, and it will give us more flowers. And then, of course, there's the tall verbena. The tall verbena that actually can be over the height of a person is a nice purple, but they have very um, fiber optic-like flowers, long, narrow, thin stems, and then a mass of flowers at the top, a little ball of flowers right there at the top of those narrow stems. So there are plenty of perennials, and today we're going to continue our discussion on perennials. That's right. For a few weeks now, we've been talking about the perennial garden, um, how to choose plants, how to make sure you've got the right things in the right place. And of course, last week we talked about the best time to plant your perennials. And of course, the best time to plant your perennials, just to summarize last week's episode, is in the shoulders of the seasons. Now, what are the shoulders of the seasons? Well, of course, summer is extremely hot and winter is extremely cold. So the shoulders are in between those two seasons, that is spring and fall. And so right now is a great time to continue growing, getting things going in your perennial landscape. But if you miss the bandwagon and it gets starts to get hot uh, here in the south, you know it will soon enough. Well, you still have later this year in the fall to continue planting your plants. So no matter if you're going to start or continue planting perennials now or later this year, We've got some good information for you because today we're actually going to start uh, talk about site preparation and planting. 
Now, you know, you would think that would be the very first thing we talk about, but we've already talked about some things you really need to consider before you even start digging in the ground. You need to consider what you're going to plant based on what you like, what you want, but also you've got to consider what site do you have. So you should rather spend uh, ample time in the garden looking and observing and preparing the site before you actually plant, making preparations before you plant. Because today we're going to discover that the most important thing we can do for a perennial, the most important thing, is making sure it's got great soil and a great home to live in because that plant will live in that place for many years to come. So we want to make sure that he's moved in and well happy because there's no moving out until (laughs) uh, his flowering gardening life has ended several years from now. So if you missed any part of the perennial garden discussion Well, don't be sad because you can review those online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, that's the the show's webpage, and you can find every episode of this program that we ever ever had right there. Of course, you know, traditionally with radio, you, you have a show and it's gone. It's in the air, but then it's gone. And so now with the wonders of technology, We have turned New Southern Garden into a podcast that you can listen to online um, as well as uh, right here on WRWH 93.9 FM on Saturdays at 10 a.m. But, you know, if you slept in, if you slept in and you were tired on Saturday, I completely understand. You can just check us out online, NewSouthernGarden.com. Oh, and be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram because you will get all kinds of information and tidbits. And of course, every time a show is ready to be listened to online, you'll get them on there. So get social with us. Get social with the New Southern Garden and we will be social with you. So let's go ahead and start talking about perennials. We have been doing this for a long time, as I mentioned, and we're going to have just a couple more episodes or so, I think. But today is about planting perennials. Planting perennials in the landscape is the fun and exciting part of gardening. Of course, it's always fun to shop for plants. It's always fun to design. It's always fun to, you know, be out in the landscape observing how much sun and how much water your site gets. But the fun part is the planting, is it not? And then once the planting's over, you can take a break and you can sit back, relax, and enjoy your hard efforts. But like I said earlier, the single most important thing that you're ever going to do for your perennials is to prepare a good home for them. Prepare a good soil before you plant. Now, if you've been listening to New Southern Garden for any amount of time, you probably recall me saying it's not a good idea to use soil amendments when planting plants. But what I actually say is it's not a good idea to use soil amendments, whether it's compost, manure, when planting trees or shrubs. That's the point. Trees and shrubs are going to be uh, treated differently than the perennials that we're talking about today. Perennials have smaller root systems. They're not quite as extensive by any measure or means as an oak tree or as a maple or as a gardenia shrub, a gardenia bush, right? These plants have smaller root systems. They're not going to be as extensive, and it is a good idea to create a nice planting bed, at least a planting hole, 
that has been enriched and amended with all kinds of organic matter. Now, this is going to be the key for their success for now, but also into the future. And with perennials, we're not just looking for now. With perennials, we're looking for continued growth year after year, continual beauty year after year. And so making sure the soil is right is good. Now, here's some tips for growing perennials. Here are some soil goals. <laughs> goals for your soil. First of all, you want to dig deeply. You want to dig enough to accommodate the root system comfortably. Now, there is a process of digging in the soil that is called double digging, where you dig out the planting area once, and then you go back and dig out the planting area again. But at the same rate, it's a certain process. You may want to look for a, um, a, a diagram online or maybe a YouTube video. Maybe I should put a YouTube video of double digging because it's a process where you're able to dig and then throw the uh, soil back in the hole. Um, and, and, and instead of having to move soil, you're sort of just starting at the beginning, ending up at the end, and you are getting twice the amount of digging done as possible, as, as uh, uh, normal which is good, okay? So you can, with your perennial beds, you can dig deeply. Now, really, when we say deep, folks, we're talking maybe six and eight inches, okay? These plants aren't going to go into the soil for very, uh, for, for very deep, definitely not as deep as larger plants. And so we can dig maybe up to 10 inches and be safe. So don't think that it's an overwhelming task, but it is a little bit of work. Now, the other thing, the soil goal number two that you would want to do or to keep in mind is to add some organic matter. At organic matter, like I said a little bit ago, is appropriate when planting perennials, not trees and shrubs, but yes, on perennials and annuals and vegetables. And that organic matter is going to lighten up clay soils, which can be heavy. They, it is going to change the texture of clay soil. It will make it a coarser soil, which drains better. But unfortunately, the surrounding clay that's not been amended is going to be able to pull water away from your planting hole or your planting bed that's been amended so keep in mind that you may have to water a little more frequently, but over time, organic matter is really um, a builder of soil structure over time, okay? You can put down well-rotted compost or leaves, but it's not at the fine rottedness that Mother Nature is going to drive it for several years to come. Organic matter can be applied on the top of the soil and then the earthworms and the beetles and the bugs, they pull it down into the soil, building that soil structure. But it's fine, fine particles of organic matter. Humus, we call it in the woods. Uh, Mother Nature creates an organic matter uh, right on top of the soil that's called humus. And that is very fine, very fine, essentially unidentifiable pieces of organic matter. Most of the organic matter that you and I are going to have access to and that we're going to be applying to the soil will be identifiable. We'll, you know, it may be black leaves, but they, they, they may still be obviously leaves. Or it may be um, cow manure, but there may be bits and pieces of, of other particular organic matters that we can see. And so once we have uh, organic matter breaking down over several years, 
then we start to see the benefits of our soil improvement. Uh, the third, the third soil goal would be to provide good drainage. Now, some perennials can grow on the edge of your pond. Some can grow on the edge of your stream. Some can grow in uh, bogs and wet spots. But the vast majority of perennials do best in well-drained soil. Too much water or standing water leads to root rot, folks. And uh, growing in uh, overly dry soils uh, is quite stressful for many plants. So well-draining soil means a soil that is not going to hold water, uh, standing water, for longer than 24 hours. But also, we want that soil to be able to stay moist, not wet, but moist. That's the best route to take. Now, the way to improve drainage is really to add soil amendments. That does help. Uh, Now, of course, which ones you add and how much is going to depend on the kind of soil you're starting with. But regardless, our soil goal number three is to provide well-drained soil. Now, soil goal number four is going to be to make nutrition available to your plants. Make sure your plants can receive good nutrition. Now, if your soil is um, humus-rich, organic matter-rich, if it's fertile and naturally, I mean, it's going to naturally provide important nutrients. Fertilizer will help a poor soil. But one thing you've got to remember is that the pH of the soil has to be moderated. It can't be too acidic and it can't be too alkaline or nutrients in the soil will not be available to your plants. It's a, it's a, the soil is a living organism. And I know we've talked about soil before on previous episodes, so be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com for more about soil. But the soil is a living organism. You're thinking, what? It's not a living. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's a, it creates, it harbors life, it uh, sustains life. And it does help our uh, plants' roots in a lots of ways. So we want to make sure that with these simple steps, with these simple steps here, number one, soil goal number one, dig deep. Number two, add some organic matter. It improves your soil structure. Number three, provide good drainage. And number four, make nutrients available to your plants. If you do all of those things, you are giving your perennial plants and your perennial gardens a great start. And it's going to be the great start of an enduring life with these plants. They will come back year after year. And just like perennials, I will come back after this quick break. So hang on tight. We'll see you in a second. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together.
Well, gang, I promise that just like a good perennial, a healthy perennial plant, I would come back. And here we are uh, at the New Southern Garden talking about the perennial garden. Now, again, just to remind you, or if you're just joining us today, perennial plants are plants that return year after year from their same root system. Now, some of those plants may be evergreen and they keep their leaves all year long, which is awesome, which is amazing. Some other plants do die back in the fall and return in the spring. But generally speaking, perennial plants are going to come back for years and years. Uh, And I say years and years, maybe decades, but sometimes not quite that. But regardless, what we are going to do is to start preparing our soil to give these perennial plants the best start that they ever could have, and that will encourage them to come back for many, many years. Now, the very first thing, we've already talked about our soil goals uh, in the first segment of today's program, so be sure you check that out if you missed any part at NewSouthernGarden.com. Now, the very first thing that you're going to want to do, and really you should have already done this maybe months ago because it can take some time to correct some problems in the soil, But take a soil sample first. Take a soil test. Do a soil test on your soil. It's a very small price to pay. I think that the Cooperative Extension Office charges around $8. You're going to get your soil sample test results back in probably in less than a week's time. Thanks to the uh, invention of email, they're going to send you those as soon as they can electronically. Now, it just takes a few bucks. It just takes a little bit of time. It's a no-brainer because the soil sample is going to tell you a lot of things about your soil. Or the soil test will tell you a lot of things about your soil. It will tell you uh, how much fertility is in your soil. So, in other words, what kind of nutrition you have. It's sort of like getting your blood tested at the doctor to find out if you have any deficiencies, if there's something you lack, or if there's something you need. Then we need to correct that problem. And the um, soil test also tells you what the pH of your soil is. Now, the pH of a soil is actually the amount of hydrogen that is in the soil, hydrogen atoms, but we tend to call that pH the acidic or alkaline soils, right? And the pH of a soil, well, the pH scale itself, I should say, goes from 1 to 14, and the center is 7. That would be neutral, And you would think, seven, the center. We always want things to be in the center. Well, that's just us humans. But a good soil that is able to provide plants with as much nutrition as possible is just slightly acidic of neutral. So somewhere 5.5 to 6.5, and it can vary. But neutral is not ideal in this situation. Um, Just slightly acidic of neutral will be a good situation to have in your soil for your plants to be able to access any kind of nutrition that they need. If your pH is off, either too acidic or too alkaline, too sweet, then you're going to find that your plants uh, don't have access to nutrition even if there are the nutrients in the soil. At those pH levels, the soil will hold on tightly to some of these nutritions, and the, uh, the plant has no access to it. So it's not always just about fertilizer. It's about making sure your pH right is right so the fertilizer can actually, actually be used 
by the plant. But once you've taken your soil sample and you've gotten that all squared away, then you can start to um, plan ahead again. Maybe in that area that you're planning to plant in, draw out your boundaries, draw out uh, maybe with string or a hose pipe. You can uh, uh, Get the positioning of your edge of beds, and also you can use spray paint and whatnot. But once you've done all that, then you can start digging and start amending the soil. That's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about soil uh, structure because soil structure is what is very important. And some folks have different types of soil structure than others. Of course, down in the south, we have more of a clay soil. And clay soil has its pros and cons, but sandy soil has its pros and cons. Uh, We will talk about an ideal type of soil called loam, and hopefully that's what we're all going for, but it does take time through soil improvements to achieve a wonderful loamy soil. The idea of soil structure is that it helps uh, the soil drain well, but it also helps soil to hold on to water. It allows a good soil structure, allows roots to run freely through the soil. That's going to encourage their growth, that's for sure, because the faster that a uh, plant's roots can grow, then the faster the tops can grow. Now, of course, um, there are different soil types, and they're all measured or sort of identified by their composition. There's a various, uh, well, ratios of various size particles. We've already mentioned some, sand, silt, and clay. And when you mix all that together, uh, you get your soil type. Now, the three basic soil types are going to be clay soil, sand soil, and loam. I've already preluded to all that. But clay soil is, let's start with that one. That's the one that we all have. Clay soil is notorious for having poor drainage and being soggy and slippery, but it can be quite fertile. A lot of plants can tolerate those conditions pretty well, though. Um, And abundant, these abundant tiny clay particles make a soil that is dense and poorly drained, When it gets wet, it's sticky, it's slippery, and uh, water may pool on its surface. So clay soils tend to also be very slow to dry out because they don't drain well. And being so small, they can uh, slowly warm up in springtime. They're not very fast at getting warm. And that does give us some planting delays. Cold, wet clay is not good to start with in early spring. But like I said, clay does contain nutrients that the plants love, uh, but sometimes these nutrients are locked up and unavailable, and especially that's due to pH. They will, some plants that tolerate heavy clay include butterfly weed, prairie coneflower, blazing star, and certain sunflowers. To improve it, dig in your humus, add in your organic matter. Now, if you have a clay soil, clay soil is a little bit different. It's not very small particles, it's very large particles. And so sandy soil results um, in this light, porous ground. Uh, It drains very well. Water passes through very quickly, sometimes too quickly for some plants. And it does not hold on to nutrition as much. It doesn't hold on to nutrition as much. So nutrition is washed away and leached away, making soil, the sandy soil notoriously infertile. Drought-tolerant plants are going to be important for a clay-y soil. Something like false indigo, which is a beautiful plant. We have at Lanier Nursery Gardens right now. Yarrow, same thing. Black-eyed Susans and beard tongue, Pinstamen. All those are actually displayed in our perennial section because they are great uh, with these kinds of uh, drought-tolerant situations. 
Now, the magic here is that just like clay, in order to improve sandy soil, humus and organic matter is going to be the goal. Now, a loamy soil, loam is the ideal soil, as a matter of fact. Loam is ideal because it has equal percentages of sand and silt and clay, and it also has a structure that is loose and friable is the word we use, and that allows for good drainage, but it also holds the right amount of moisture. Typically, uh, it does have organic matter included into its structure. And that's why you and I can build our clay soils or you and I can build our sandy soils and try to create a loamy soil, which is ideal. Now, I don't have to give you a list of perennials because most perennials are going to thrive in this medium. Uh, it's well balanced. It's where, well aerated. And it will also retain sufficient nutrients in, at the root zone for your beautiful uh, plants. But you can make it a good practice to just add organic matter annually, whether it's uh, top dressing like mulching or whether you scatter it and spread it out and incorporate it into the soil. It's always a good idea with your perennial beds to at least add a uh, well-rotted mulch material so that you are increasing the um, beauty, the structure, the health of your soil. Now, I know that we're going to have to go to a quick break, but when we get back from this break, I just want to uh, let you know that we're going to talk about actually turning and digging and how to make sure that your planting beds, whether it is um, a, just a single hole or whether you're going to create a beautiful perennial border, we're going to talk about the ins and outs of now that we've determined what kind of soil we have, we're going to dig in our plants. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So today's show, gang, we've been talking about the perennial garden. We were talking about our soil. We've ha talked about soil goals that we want to have to incorporate into our perennial gardening uh, methods and techniques to make sure we're giving them the best start ever. We've talked about soil tests, and we talked about the soil structure and the types of soil that you may encounter throughout your landscape. Of course, here in the Piedmont, we're going to have heavy clay soils because our soils are very old. Our soils, they say, are resulted from the um, uh, Appalachian Mountains and their weathering. So it's washed down, and here we are with very old soils from that old mountain ridge. So, we already stressed the point about testing your soil as well, and it's very important. So if you've missed any part of today's program, maybe you're just waking up and turning on the radio... Be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com after the program. Uh, at some point today, we will have the program posted online for you to review and listen and share with your friends. You, you, like I said, you can find us at NewSouthernGarden.com, but also on Facebook and Instagram. You can get connected with New Southern Garden there, and you can share all kinds of stuff on that social media. It's fun. It's exciting. 
Also, you can ask us a question on social media or at NewSouthernGarden.com if you've got a question. The end of the month will be here sooner than we want to uh, accept, and we'll be answering your questions for that episode. So, perennials. Perennials are exciting. Perennials are fun. And we're going to talk about, actually, uh, uh, some some soil talk as we're digging in the ground, digging in the soil, what we're going to find and what's going to be best when planting our perennials. But I thought that I would uh, help you with a particular problem that you may be having in your shade garden, and that is coping with roots in the shade garden. Dealing with roots, you have a shade garden because there are trees of substantial size that are big enough to cast shade over the earth, but what do they also crawl across the earth other than shadows are roots. Maples do this... um, I have some Bradford pears, unfortunately, that we inherited when we purchased the, the our, our, our uh, house. <laughs> they do this as well. Oaks do it as they get very well and aged. And so you've got the situation where there's shallow soil and thick, heavy roots. And yes, one option is to go in and dig out roots, right? Chop them up, prune them back, dig them out. But you're doing damage to the tree. And that damage to the root system may be enough, especially if it's extensive. If it's one or two roots, maybe not be a big deal. But if you're doing damage all around the tree, then you will find that tree probably becoming compromised. And that is never a good thing. We don't want a tree to topple on the gardener as he's trying to improve his his garden. But one route to take would be to bring in a nice, rich, humusy, organic-y soil, maybe six or eight inches that's all you need really for perennials you'll give them their own planting bed on top of those roots and let me tell you it is horticulturally acceptable and recommended that if you're going to add soil on top of existing root systems that you would do so in about six or eight inches but be sure to avoid completely covering uh, the trees uh, or shrubs entire root zone you might smother, but if it's no deeper than six inches, you should feel confident and be okay with doing that. No problem at all. Now, let's get back to soil. That was just an example that I figure that you have a problem with. I do too. And the way to uh, fix that is to just bring in a great soil. Bring in a great soil. Now, we're going to talk about some recommended organic uh, uh, amendments. So, soil amendments. What are you going to add to your planting hole? What are you going to add to your uh, planting bed? And we don't talk about this much really at all when we're talking about trees and shrubs because I want to remind you, especially if you're just joining us today, I want to remind you that this idea of mixing a lot of organic matter into the planting hole for a tree or shrub is not recommended. But what is recommended is with perennials and annuals and vegetables. So we are strictly talking about vegetables today. So you can actually uh, consider all this information when planting annual beds or when planting vegetables, but not, I repeat, but not recommended when you're planting trees and shrubs. Now, what are some of the important benefits to our perennial garden by adding organic matter? First of all, Uh, When we add organic matter, we get increased water retention, so you don't have to water as often. And your perennials, your plants, are going to better able to withstand dry spells. Organic matter, maybe not initially, but as it starts to break down and build uh, soil structure in a poor soil, 
you will find that that soil becomes quite water retentive. And we'll talk just in a second about draining well, but yes, it will hold on to moisture, which is a good thing during drought spells. So when you add organic matter, the second thing that you do is to improve drainage so that water moves through the soil slowly enough for roots to get the moisture they need, but quickly enough not to cause root rot. Okay, so that is going to be a double it's two sides of the same coin. Adding organic matter improves drainage, but also increases water retention. And it does so in an appropriate and healthy way. Now, the third thing that or adding organic matter is going to help with your soil is to loosen the soil. It will create a looser soil so that nutrient-bearing water can enter and there are beneficial air spaces providing oxygen to roots and giving uh, roots room to grow. That is the key about soil, a looser soil. If you have a great soil, when you dig it, you will create, uh, you will pull out of the earth, not clods like we have with many clay-based soils, but you'll pull out what we call aggregates. And aggregates are like, you know, when you have a chocolate cake and you stick your fork in and things start falling apart, in large chunks, and there's uh, uh, air in between. There's the, of course, the uh, cl- the uh, cake itself. But we want to have good aggregation, like a beautiful chocolate cake, like a beautiful chocolate cake. It's fluffy. It's light. It has air, but it also has um, the cake, which in our case would be the soil particles, right? But we want to have a cake-like soil that is loose and fluffy and friable and falls apart in these aggregates, in these larger chunks that are healthy. Now, the other thing, the fourth thing that adding organic matter is going to do for you is to provide a favorable environment for beneficial soil organisms. Now, I said earlier in the program that soil is a living um, organism. It's alive and I don't mean that it is uh, itself is alive, but there are living things, plants, bacteria, fungus, insects that are all living throughout. And you provide them with food, you provide them with water, and they are helping to build a healthy organic matter. Because you know that these organisms, such as earthworms, the mycorrhizal fungi, they break down organic matter into a form that roots can use. And they also maintain air spaces in the soil. You know, worms, uh, of course, they too contribute their own organic matter that are called worm castings. Yes, that's worm poop, but it's a very healthy form of organic matter. It's a very healthy form of organic matter that your plants can use readily. And so there is something to say uh, that if you are building your soil to help encourage all kinds of life, not just to grow the plant, then what you're doing is you're creating this cycle, this circle, right? And this uh, circle of life, cycle of life, whatever, where one organism is helping another. The fungi are helping the plants. The plants are helping the insects. The insects are helping the plants. It goes back and forth, around and around. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're creating a beautiful space, a beautiful soil, a beautiful home for your perennial plants that are going to endure for many years to come. Now, the last thing we'll say that uh, organic matter does for your soil 
is adding organic matter helps to neutral soil pH. Okay. So, of course, we don't want a neutral pH, but we do want the soil to balance itself at a good pH. You're going to create a more moderate, plant-friendly setting where soil nutrients are available and stress is minimized. Organic matter does help to sort of balance out your pH just where plants like it. It's an amazing thing. In the forest, in the woods, in the wilderness, plants live in this organic layer mainly. And so when we're cultivating our soils, if we're creating a high organic soil, we don't have to worry about changing the pH of our soil. If we just change the pH of the soil with some additive like lime or um, aluminum sulfate, if we're doing that, we have to do that constantly and regularly. But if we're adding organic matter year after year, you're going to find that your soil balances itself just where it should be, just where plants can live and plants can grow. So we've talked about some more benefits of using organic matter in the soil while you're digging, incorporating. But what about the actual materials themselves? Let's talk about a few of those. The first thing you may want to think about is compost. Of course, homemade compost is the best because you know what's in it. It's usually a nice, rich blend. You may have uh, plenty of it on hand as well. Uh, Garden centers do sell it in bags. We sell cow manure compost. We sell mushroom compost, which is a wonderful type of compost. Compost is basically organic matter, leaf material, wood material, grass clippings, uh, leftover scraps and bits of um, uh, fruits and vegetables out of your kitchen. Of course, compost is not cooked meat or really any kind of meat, any kind of cooked vegetables, any kind of butters or fats. We don't care to put that in there. Oh, yes, and no domesticated dog and cat feces, nothing like that, okay? We're using strictly scraps and leftovers from the salad, scraps and leftovers from the watermelon, the rinds, those kinds of things. That will help to build a wonderful compost, but you also need a certain amount of uh, brown. All those things like grass clippings and and fruits and vegetables, uh, residues, those are all green things, but you need a healthy mixture of brown like leaves and, yes, maybe chipped up bark or wood that can balance each other and work on each other to break each other down and give you a decent, well-rotted compost. Now, the next thing you may have on hand, maybe, if you're near a, um, uh, a farm of some kind, is rotted manure. Any vegetarian animal, of course, animals that strictly eat grasses and whatnot, so again, never dogs, never cats, but any vegetarian animal waste can be used that would include cow and sheep and goats and pigs, uh, but it must be well-aged and it must be dry okay so we don't want it like soppy wet where their potential for disease may be the potential for bacteria may be but we do want it well rotted it may take several months in a big heap to well rot but you may flip that uh, and that would help to rot it even faster don't use fresh or steaming hot cow patties or manures those kinds of things can burn young plants and that can lead you to an interesting situation. Now, the last thing that I'm going to mention, and it's basically something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, 
um, is peat moss. Peat moss is easy to find, and back in the 90s, we used to use a lot of it in the soil. But what we find is that peat moss dries out in our clay soils. When the clay dries out, it dries out. And then you've got this terrible drying out effect that is going to lead to a hard brick. That's right. Back in the ancient Egypt days, of course, when they were building the pyramids, they used clay and organic matter like peat moss in a way, some straw, and they made a brick. So that particular kind of organic matter, I don't recommend. Uh, You can buy it readily. It's becoming pricier because it's about to run out of supply. But regardless, when we get back from this break, I'm going to give you more examples of organic matter to add to your perennial bed and border to give them a great place to live and live a long time. We'll be right back. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. All right, gang, so of course, here on New Southern Garden today, we're talking about plants that return year after year, and we're more specifically, we've been talking for several weeks about the perennial garden, but we are talking about how to make our soils better and richer and stronger and bolder and more nutritious and tastier for your plants than you ever could have imagined. And we're going to do that in the perennial garden, particularly with the use and the help of organic matter. Some people call them soil amendments, whatnot. We've already talked about using compost. We've talked about using rotted manure and really not necessarily using peat moss in our clay-based soils. But there are some other things that we would recommend to use. And of course, that would be leaves. Let me tell you that the worst thing in the garden that you could possibly do is in the fall time, rake or blow your leaves into big piles, bag them and set them on the street corner for your garbage man to pick up. That is the worst thing that you could do in your landscape, I think. I mean, I wouldn't mind so much you chopping down a beautiful, healthy, vigorous uh, Japanese maple. That's not a problem. But for you to take your leaves off of your property and give them to the landfill or somebody else, you are giving away gold. For the gardener, leaves are gold. You're giving away gold. Now, leaves in the fall, they need to be chopped up if they can, and you can do so by running a lawnmower over them. And uh, there's also shredders you can buy. There are little, great little like vacuums, like landscape vacuums. Just don't suck up rocks and sticks. But if you can pull up leaves into this vacuum, it'll chop it up and then bag it for you so you can pile it up somewhere else later. Uh, But again, lawnmower is just as fine. Now, these leaves do need to um, set and rot They can, or you can use them as a mulch and lay them on the ground underneath your plantings. 
Okay, it doesn't really matter with leaves. It's great. It's a wonderful uh, concept. And I would rather uh, sell leaves as mulch rather than barked up chips and wood and, and pine nuggets and pine straw. Well, pine straw is our leaves because leaves are such a good source of carbon, such a good source of nitrogen, and it's a great balance of carbon and nitrogen, which is going to build the soil but also help to feed your plants. And it is going to grow that soil. It is going to provide food for earthworms. There are so many benefits to leaves. So, like I said, use them to improve your soil. But if you're mixing them into the soil, like for planting perennials in your perennial bed or planting holes, make sure they're well rotted. It's not necessarily uh, ideal to um, bury fresh leaves and incorporate them into the soil around plants' roots. We really want them to rot down a, a, a bit first. Now, sawdust is not a bad idea either, but there's some precautions here. If you're looking to improve your soil with sawdust, make sure you're not using sawdust from wood that was chemically treated because you may be doing damage to your plants. Some, I think they've, of course, outlawed it now, but there is a particular chemistry that was used in all different kinds of way called methyl bromide. And I believe that they were treating certain woods with methyl bromide, of course, sometimes arsenic. And uh, methyl bromide in particular is going to kill all forms of life, from humans down to cockroaches to plants. If it's used appropriately, it will kill uh, what it's intended to. But in this case, make sure if you use sawdust that it is just um, from untreated timber. Uh, I don't think the stuff they use these days is quite as concerning. But just to be careful, be sure that you're using fresh wood rather than treated wood. Now, the other thing about sawdust is we want to make sure that we let it sit for several months and rot. Because fresh sawdust, much like fresh leaves to some uh, degree, will rob the soil of nitrogen. As the sawdust naturally breaks down, bacteria are consuming nitrogen in order to break down the sawdust. So they're taking away nitrogen from the soil in order to do their job at breaking down the sawdust, and so your plants have less nitrogen um, around their roots, and that's not a good thing. That can be overcome by adding um, nitrogen to the system, but if you've piled up your sawdust and let it rot for at least six months, let it go through some heat, and once it's cooled down, it should be ready to put into your planting holes. Now, hay and straw is not a bad idea, but when they're well-aged, the well-aged form of hay or straw is a very decent soil amendment. But just be sure that with hay or straw that it's weed-free. It's going to be hard to verify that they're weed-free, that's for sure. But just remember that many fields that hay and straw comes from, those fields are probably not well-treated for um, weeds. And you may have a weed problem by introducing this sort of material. But regardless... Just be sure that it's well-aged. That may help to destroy some uh, of the weed seed. But otherwise, don't use it fresh unless you're using it on top of the soil as a mulch. But to incorporate it into the soil, you want to make sure it's well-aged. Now, grass clippings. If you have a lawn, you will have plenty of grass clippings. Think about the number of grass clippings that you either collect or let fall on the grass uh, while you're cutting it. Now, some folks will do the same with grass clippings. They will cut the grass, bag it, and then ship them off like they do their leaves in the fall time. But this is a no-no. 
Grass clippings are also a great source of nutrition and organic matter, and they're going to help build your soil, help feed your plants. It's going to be amazing to use them in your perennial beds. But many people, they ship them off. They get rid of them. And that's not good because your grass clippings actually have 33% of your plant's nitrogen needs of the grass itself needs, rather those clippings contain 33% of the grass, uh, turf grass nitrogen needs. And so by getting rid of that, what are you doing? You're getting rid of beautiful, beautiful things uh, that God has created into this cycle, into this system, and no need to get rid of that. Put them, uh, pile them up, compost them for a while, and you can add them to your perennial beds. Now, some last materials, a few other materials. I'm just going to list them off. We've got worm castings, right? Seaweed, you may find that. It's a little pricier. You probably won't be able to use it unless you are by the coast. Uh, you have alfalfa meals. You have ground corn cobs and peanut holes. Mushroom compost, which I will say mushroom compost is probably, uh, the research shows that it is one of the best soil amendments to use. And so you definitely want to uh, keep mushroom compost in mind. But any of these can be beneficial. But the idea is to let them compost, let them rot down a bit before adding them to the garden so that they're not fresh because fresh materials are going to rob your soil of nitrogen and get things off to a slow start. But if you let that material, whatever kind of material you're going to use, pile up, then you will find that it will um, increase growth once it's well rotted. But no matter which kind of organic matter you choose, remember, when you're digging your perennial beds, when you're digging your perennial holes, dig them very wide. They don't have to be very deep, maybe up to six and eight inches. But make sure that you're using some of this material that we've talked about, whether it's uh, leaves or grass clippings or compost or manure, make sure you're incorporating that into your soil and then placing that incorporated soil and compost back into your planting hole. That will give your plants roots. There's no need to get rid of existing clay or existing soil. Just improve it. Improve it with one of these other types of materials, and then you'll be in a good shape. You'll be in a good way. Well, gang, we got to get out of here. But we're going to continue talking about perennials in the next coming weeks. So I hope that you stay with us uh, as we venture into that. Check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com to catch up. And for New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.